There were times when I thought, you know, why am I doing this? It's so hard. The first five years, I didn't pay myself. At one point, I actually put my website for sale for like $25,000. I look back then, I'm so glad that no one bought it because you know, I have a business worth millions of dollars now. The name of the company is StarfireDirect.com. I started it back in 2007. I was uh, working another job full time, was a operations manager for a company that I uh, worked there for about seven years. And we sold similar products. We sold lifestyle products, spas, pool tables, barbecues, you know, uh, umbrellas, uh, everything for the indoor and outdoor lifestyle. We had a big 30,000 square foot showroom. But what ended up happening is in the, with the economy the way it was back in 2007. Well, before that, you know, everything was going really well. And we were selling tons of stuff and making lots of money. But then the uh, with the economy going down, closing stores, we were laying people off. We were having to do these clearance sales just to make ends meet. I saw the writing on the wall and, and I knew that the opposite was true with online. I knew that year over year, online retail sales were increasing. And uh, it was still kind of an interesting time because... People were still uncomfortable purchasing online. Amazon wasn't nearly as big as it is now. It was still huge, but not what it is today. So I started with 50 bucks, a little website out of my condo. And I found a company that would drop ship for me. And, and I built a little website. I went on the University of YouTube and <laughs> learned how to build a, a little cheap free website. And I, with 50 bucks, I, I got it going and I would work my normal job during the day. And then at, at night, I would work until about two, three o'clock in the morning as much as I could to kind of build this website and drag and drop pictures. And, and there weren't website builder programs as, as efficient as are today. But uh, so it was, a, it was a very rudimentary website. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. But uh, my big score came when one day I got a a call from the Hard Rock Hotel in San Diego and they say, hey, we want to buy some fire glass from you. And it was a $7,000 order and I was just absolutely thrilled. So I end up getting the order. I drive it down to San Diego in my truck and I dropped it off and I got my check and, and I was thrilled. And obviously when you get that kind of money from one job, I think our first inclination is to take that money and maybe take a vacation, maybe go buy a new car whatever it may be, but that wasn't mine. That my mine was, you know what, this could be something. This this is something that could do well. With my cheap website, if the Hard Rock Hotel is purchasing that large of an order from me with my terrible <laughs> rudimentary website, no doubt if I had a professional website, I could get orders like this all the time. So I invested with a company to come and build me a website. I, I spent $3,500 on a website and it, it wasn't that great either, but you know, it just kind of took off from there. I, and when did a hard rock hotel, just so we get a time frame of when was that purchase? Uh, I want to say, well, they were building it brand new in San Diego. I want to say that must've been like maybe 2009, 2010, something like that. It was just about two years into it, I think. In my first year in business, I think I did like $50,000 in sales online. I wasn't making money, but the sales were coming in. I decided not to buy my Starbucks every single day and uh, spend $5 a day on AdWords. For those of 
you that don't know what AdWords, I'm, I'm sure everyone does now, but basically you can have an advertisement on Google pop up for a certain keyword that you want, even if you're not ranking organically. And so I did that for uh, a while and really making, I was just breaking even barely. I, I was losing money, but it was those big sales that would come in every now and again, that would kind of help keep and float the business and keep me going. But eventually it got to a point where I was able to quit my other job. And besides a few months after that, they ended up going out of business anyways. But uh Kept it going. Yeah, just never stopped and kept increasing the budget. Every time I'd get a sale, a big sale, I'd put that money right back into the business. And that's a huge piece of advice that I would offer to anyone is don't rape your company of funds. Don't steal from your company just because you're having a good month or a good year. Put that away. Save it. Put it back into the business. Keep investing into your business. Don't go out and buy new shoes. <laughs> you know, Buy a better computer. Buy better software. Buy better infrastructure for your business. Figure out how you can be better at customer service. Invest in that. Those are the things I feel that over the years have really helped our business grow. Right. And so you're talking about from 2009 all the way to today. Could you tell us about how much you do in sales so we get an idea or how many employees you have? Yeah. So we started in 2007 with 50 bucks. First year in sales, about $50,000. Last year, I think we hit about $10 million in sales. So in 10 years, we've grown exponentially. We're debt-free. We own our inventory. We own all of our furniture. We own our office space. We own, we own everything, our vans, our everything. We have money in the bank. We're a very healthy company from a cash flow perspective, but that's because we've always paid everything off and, and invested you know, what we needed to invest in. And so that's, it's a big deal. We have right now about 25, almost 30, maybe 30 employees, something like that. I think we're 25 to 30. So, I mean, back in 2007, could you ever envision yourself being at this point in time? And what made you kind of get into it? I mean, it did, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Back in 2007, I had no idea. My wife and I, our goal was to be able to travel and to be able to have a business that allowed us to do that. In our minds, we were thinking, how can we make five, ten thousand $10,000 a month from anywhere without having a storefront with all of the headaches that we knew came with it? What we were experienced, what we were, what we had experienced working for the other company. So naturally, we gravitated toward the, the internet. I bought a domain, and, and the rest is history. I had no idea we'd have as many employees today, but knowing what I know now, it's in the next couple of years we'll we'll be double that. In two three years, we'll be 50, 60 employees. There's no doubt in my mind. With revenues of upwards of fifty to sixty million dollars, we know of some competitors of ours that are doing over a hundred million dollars a year in our industry. So it's we're, we're scratching the surface, I think, at this point. So with some of the irons that we have in the fire, with new software and, and new procedures, operating procedures, and infrastructure, we're going to be geared for huge, huge numbers here in the in the next few years. I say, did you go to college and like how you even got into that? You talked about your first job because you're a young guy. You're 35? I'm 35 years old. Uh, I didn't go to college. I, I went to a couple, I went to about a year of college, a few semesters. I was restless. I, I was always, I kind of actually did bad in high school. <laughs> I did, I wasn't a, a flunky or anything. I, I, I did, I did okay, B's and C's, but I have always had that entrepreneurial spirit. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't have a lot. My mom raised me by herself. So we always worked hard, whether it was cleaning model houses at night, delivering newspapers. I went to the airport and sold snow cones on the weekends. I would go and mow people's lawns. I would go and do landscaping for people, would dig ditches. I'd run gas lines. I'd run, <laughs> I mean, really anything. And I actually failed a few times. Um, I, I did have a landscaping business for a while, a few years. It was really difficult. I had partners 
and that's that's always a challenge when you when you have partners to deal with. But yeah, I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit. When I worked at that other company for seven years, I'd have good ideas. I felt what I thought were good ideas, maybe. But a lot of times, you have to deal with all of the bureaucracy. You have to deal with all of the powers that be, their boss, your bosses, and their bosses, and the owners. You can only get done what you're told to get done, really. And like back then, I had suggested that we get a website, and that that idea was shot down because they thought it was a bad idea. So little things like that made it challenging working for someone. So I, I feel like I do enjoy working by myself, working uh, on my own, being able to control not necessarily my staff. I, I don't micromanage my staff. I give them a lot of freedoms, but I like to be able to know that if we're successful, I had something to do with it, and if we're if we fail, it was it was a direct result of my management style. So I can take accountability for that. And can you give us any other situations, maybe in that other job that finally? It reached a breaching point for you that you're like, I had to do this other website or were you just doing that for fun anyhow? Sometimes just having a bad boss or getting turned down great ideas like you might have had inspired the entrepreneur to like, you know, go start their own business. So like what inspired you as well? I don't want to say I had a bad boss. Actually, he, he mentored me. He, he brought me in at 18 years old. I didn't have any purchasing experience, but he brought me in in purchasing. He, he must have saw something in me and, and knew that I would, I would work hard and learn quickly. Um, which I think is when you're hiring, that's probably one of the most important things. You know, you can hire someone with skills and that has all this experience, and that's good. Certainly, you want to look at that, but look for someone's attitude. Do they have a can do attitude? Are they going to hit the ground running and, and take and run with it? You know, but I was just getting burnt out. I think working 60 hour weeks and for someone else making someone else money and being capped out uh, on my salary, that was. That was a frustrate. That was a source of frustration for me, and I think that is for a lot of entrepreneurs. I don't think entrepreneurs want to be told that they can only make so much. If I told the people listening to this that, hey, you can only make fifty or sixty or seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and that's it. And in five years from now, if you do really good work, we'll bump you up to, we'll you know give you five thousand more, ten thousand more, even a hundred thousand a year. You know, I think entrepreneurs don't like to be held in a box. If you don't like to be held in a box, then you you probably need to start a business. Some people are, are okay with that. They're they're content. And that's that's great. I mean, the world, it takes both kinds. But knowing that you can control and decide your fate, decide how much you're going to make, and then and live with that comfortably, whether whatever that number is, you can control that. Back into the early years of the business, if that's okay. You're saying you got the website made for 3500 in 2009 or so. Can you tell us about how you expanded maybe like your first hire and after the website, how things might have taken off or not? Yeah, I was doing okay. I was I was doing about $30,000 a month in revenue, about 30000 40000 a month in revenue. But the problem is uh, I was taking the phone calls. I was selling. I was handling the customer service. I was uh, doing de deliveries and loading up the truck and making samples and just running all over the place. I couldn't really take a vacation without having to do some amount of work on vacation. So it, it became apparent to me that I needed help. So I made my first hire back in 2010, and um, I kind of told him what was going on. And now he's my chief operating officer. He's been with me for seven years, and he's helped me grow the business. His name is Lindsay. He's uh, been instrumental in our growth. He took a chance as well. You know, he had a, a baby on the way, and young father. And he took a chance, but it's been it's been really exciting to see the growth for both of us. And, and since then, by the way, we've rebuilt our website. Over 10 years, we've rebuilt it at least five or six times. Uh, we're actually doing it right now. We just launched our new website in October of 2015. Uh, we're gonna we're getting ready to launch our new platform in October of 2017. So we've never been complacent or thought that our site or our 
our uh, platform was where it needed to be. We're always looking for ways to improve it, constantly looking at new technologies, seeing how we can make our customer experience better every single day. At that first hire, I mean, it's done at first you were working from home when you did your first website. Were at that same point, where, did you already have your own office? Did you have to have your own warehouse in order to do all this stuff? <laughs> we always we always laugh at that. We were working out of my, I had a spare bedroom. Then we moved out to the loft so we can get a little bit more room. Then we made another hire and there were three of us working out of my house and we take breaks and go down and play ping pong or <laughs> foosball. And, you know, those were the good old days. But um, we quickly realized that we needed more space. So there was this little thousand square foot building, industrial building for lease. And they wanted $800 a month. And I remember just thinking, man, how much, man, can, can we afford that? Is that going to be a space for us? And like, let's, let's just do it. Let's just go ahead and invest 800. So we, gutted it and we kind of made it a little bit more comfortable for us and added walls and office new furniture and man we really felt like we were living living large over there at that place but it wasn't before long that we had to end up leasing the space next to us uh, which made it 2,000 square feet we put a big you know door in the in the wall and then we ended up leasing the two spaces behind us so we ended up having four back-to-back buildings at a combined total of 4,000 square feet and by that point we had employees kept hiring. We had employees in in all four spaces. I think we had about maybe 10 employees in total in those, in the 4,000 square feet. And we had, we had, we had these roll-up doors that would vibrate every time people drove by. And we were right next door to a Harley Davidson biker club. And so every time they'd fire up their motorcycles, you you know, the doors would rattle and we were trying to make sales calls. And (laughs) it was, it's just kind of funny thinking about that. But in 2015, we ended up moving over to our new building, uh, which is about 7,000 square feet with nice offices. And we did a big build out, we put in all new furniture, new floors and ceilings and made it really nice and moved over here in March of, of 2015. All of the employees were super excited to have office space and just a lot more professional, a lot sexier curb appeal. But within three months, we, out, we outgrew this space. So we ended up leasing the space next door, another 6,000 square feet. We moved our showroom next door. And then in uh, 2016, we ended up leasing a third building. So altogether, now we have three buildings at 20,000 square feet, and we're already outgrowing this. So in fact, just before this interview this morning, we, we met with our agent. We're looking at a new 40,000 square foot building around the corner that we're looking at maybe moving into next year. So it's just been a lot of growth. I mean, the one constant that we've had is change. It's been crazy. It's been exciting. It's been fun. It's been a challenge. That's one of the things about owning your own business that you can't get that anywhere else. It's always going to change. It's always going to be exciting and new. You can make your business as big as you want to take it, which is great. It seems like obviously you've been, had great growth since you've started since day one. What do you think has been the key to that? There's a lot of factors to growth and success in business. One, hands down, it's your staff. You have to trust staff. You have to hire well. You have to trust them to a point that you're willing to let go. It's hard, I think, as a business owner to let go. You, you want to control a lot of things. You want to make sure that everything's done the way you would do it. But in reality, that's just not possible without working 24 hours a day and, and killing yourself and not having any type of personal life. So trusting your staff, having good staff that buys into the same philosophies that you do. They're excited about growth. They're excited about change. They're excited about the opportunity. Staff is huge. You know, you gotta, gotta really appreciate what they can do for you. Finding a, a good niche or a good business style or, or, or model. And I've, I've seen all sorts of business owners, entrepreneurs um, with all sorts of businesses. You don't even understand how many businesses are out there. It's, it's really crazy. Every day you hear about some guy has this business and 
makes these semiconductors for this company over here. And he's huge. And you just look at that and you're like, man, how did you get into semiconductor? Like, what, why did you do that? So find, finding just something, you know, kind of niche is, is, I think, a good idea. That was a good point that you just brought up, too. I mean, that's why we're interviewing, like, smart people like yourselves who started their own companies, because I would have never even thought about your company, for instance, you know? Right. You know, you want to have happy employees. That's so important. Who doesn't want to be happy? No one wants to go to work dreading their job. If you can honestly say that your staff is happy and they're thrilled with being at that job and you retain employees for a long time because of that, then you're doing a good job. But if your staff, if you feel they are always disgruntled, they always look unhappy, you know, there's water cooler gossip, that's going on, then then you need to figure out what changes need to be made. You start need to start investing more into your staff. We have a, a really positive culture and that comes from the top down. You can't tell everyone to be happy and have a positive culture if ownership isn't instilling that themselves. Knowing all of your staff by name, having company outings, meeting their families, showing a lot of respect to them. Benefits are important. You know, we aren't required to have health benefits, but we do. We give them a really competitive vacation policy, uh, lots of lots of free time. You know, there's there's a lot of perks to working here. And, and oftentimes our staff will say that this is the best job they've ever had. They're looking forward to having their career here. And because of that, they work harder for you. We pay them really competitively, probably more than what their positions are worth. <laughs> I hope maybe I'll get a bunch of resumes after people hear this interview. You know, we'd love to have some good good talent here. We're always looking for good talent. But um, no, I think that's important. Just treating your staff with respect, giving them what you you know what you'd want. You know, think about if you were in that position, what would you want as an employee? If you remember that as a business owner, I think I think you'll do well. That seems really important, obviously, to you. I mean, was there a point in time that you didn't have that good culture? I remember working at my old job. I remember the gossip that would go on, and, you know, employees, how they would kind of take advantage of the company. And so when I started my company, I, I didn't want to have that feel like my staff didn't care, that they would smile to your face and look like they're working hard, but then behind closed doors, they're not working hard. I, that's part of why the other company failed despite the economy and everything. And so I feel that we've done a good job instilling that positive culture since the beginning. We've had a few people come on board that didn't fit that mold and they didn't last long. You know, they're quickly, it's cancerous and, and we, we get rid of that quickly. So um, the staff here knows that it's not to be tolerated, but everyone respects everyone. There's no clicks. It's been, it's nice working here. It's fun. And I'm not just saying that it, it, I enjoy every single person here and I respect every person here. And it's uh, I, I feel very blessed to be able to work with such a great, great team. And yeah, that's, I guess something that I brought up earlier and I didn't mean to say just necessarily a boss, but sometimes like for instance, on my, my very first job out of college, it was literally had a time in time out with the clock and everyone hated it there. And you don't realize that culture probably a thing that you need to worry about until you're in a bad one to me at least. So I don't know if you felt the same way or at least you learned from there. No, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. So if, if you don't want that in your business, you know, be that, be a force for change, invest and again. It, it's an investment. You know, a lot of, a lot of owners want to take the profits and rightly so. Why would you build a business that you can't go out and buy your new house or go out and buy your new car? And you should be able to do all of those things with, with the profits of your business, but you will have more if you give more. That's just, I, I, be, I believe that a hundred percent. I mean, so were you ever worried when you were reinvesting? Because that, yeah, it's kind of leads back to what you said. It's like usually the entrepreneur works so hard. And then finally, when they start making money, they want to start taking out. What kept you in line from doing that? Oh man, Austin, there were times where 
I just, I wondered <laughs> at one point I actually put my website for sale for like $25,000, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I look back then I'm so glad that no one bought it because, um, you know, I have a business worth millions of dollars now back then there were times when I thought, you know, why am I doing this? It's so hard. The first five years, I didn't pay myself. I paid employees. They were making more money than I was, but that's part of growing a business. That's, I look back and that's, you have to be willing to accept that. If the first five years, maybe sooner, shoot, if you're doing it within a shorter amount of time, Hey, kudos. That's, that's amazing. It took us about five years before I could start paying myself a decent wage, you know? And, and so there were lots of times uh, I would talk to my accountant and I'm like, I just don't know how we're going to move on next month. This is, it's so tight, but then a sale would come through something amazing would happen. And I just, you got to stick with it, stick with it. Even when things don't seem hopeful, stick with it, hit the ground. Yeah. I remember you, before I started my business, you know, I, I would sell gas log sets and on rainy days, when it started raining outside, I'd run down to the factory in Lake Elsinore. There's a company called Glowfire Gas Logs. They're no longer in business, but Glowfire Gas Logs. I would talk to the owner. I'd walk in there and I'd say, hey, can I get, you know, five log sets on consignment and I'll pay you by the end of the week? And I'd say, sure. You know, and for them, it wasn't a big deal. So I was a small guy, you know, they, they, they could handle that risk. And on rainy days, I would go in my truck and I would go to houses and I would knock on doors and say, hey... <laughs> got these beautiful gas log sets. I can install these for you, you know, $3.99 installed. And I would sell gas log sets and I would, you know, I'd make it work. But it's that kind of mentality I feel that that's helped us. Even when things seem dire, even when things seemed rough, like we weren't going to make it the next month, I was able to pay my employees and not myself. I would just think to myself, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't stress out. Don't lose my mind. Don't panic. It's going to work out. Just get out there and try something different. Try something new. Maybe maybe try this or try that or ask for help and ask someone what that's been successful, what they would do in that situation. And I've had a lot of mentorship. I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of advice over the years from successful business owners. And that's another thing um, that's that's been helpful is even competitors. I've always kind of said, hey, you know, I think if you guys did this, this might be better. Or I really like what you guys are doing here. Or here's what's working for us and not working for us. And a lot of entrepreneurs want to hold their cards close to their chest. And, and there are some things you need to do that with, absolutely. But when other companies are successful, you need to, you need to glean from that. You need to, um, to take what you can from that and, and apply what you're learning from that. And, and share it. Be, don't be afraid to share a little bit because you know, they'll, they'll give you more if you give them some. Because guess what? They're in the same exact boat. They're wanting to be successful too. And they want to know what's working for you and what's not. So that way they don't waste their time on something that doesn't if you've already had experience with it. So I think information is key and sharing, sharing that, uh, what you can, you know, obviously, like I said, keep, keep some of your cards close to your chest. Don't, don't reveal everything, but, um, that, that certainly helps. Well, how about going back to the accountant when you're, you know, you're looking at your employees are probably making more than you. Things might seem tight. I mean, personally, were there ever issues where you get depressed or, you know, you I guess, were you married at the time? I was. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that where you had to have those talks with a wife. Can you talk about those? Yeah. You know, the, my wife has always been a tremendous support. She, she knows I, I, I'd pick her brain. She's a little more conservative than me. So you have to be willing to take risks. And I've, I've taken a lot of risks over the years. But my accountant, he always reassured me, you know, he said, John, you're, you're going to be fine. You're, you're, you're a smart guy. You'll figure this stuff out. Just hang in there. And, you know, if you need us to delay a couple months of payment, we'll, we'll work with you, which we never actually ended up having to do. One thing I can be prideful of is we've paid every bill on time since, since we started. So we've built a, a really good reputation in the industry with vendors and, and manufacturers and service industries and things like that. Even if I had to put it on a credit card, 
you know, at the beginning, that's, that's what I would do. And then I'd figure out a way to pay that off. I, I think overall, I think that I always kind of knew it would be successful, but you, you can't help but feel scared at times, you know, making sure that your business is going to keep going. You, you get nervous, you get scared. And it's just a natural, natural thing to have happen. But yeah, I mean, could you talk about any of those other, like maybe like low points that maybe entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs don't think about, you know, that were there any, any other lows? Because obviously you're successful today, but you know, it seems like up and down, that's kind of the way the entrepreneur lifestyle goes. <laughs> you're absolutely right. The one thing that I thought about is, you know, 10 years ago, when I went to the trade shows, and, and that's a great resource too, is, is going to industry shows for whatever it is that you do. For mine, I would go to a, a trade show where they sell grills and gas log sets and kind of an older industry. So you have a lot of family run businesses that are maybe second and third generation or maybe even first generation, but the ownership is really on the older side. And they've been used to doing things the same way in, in, in many regards for many, many years. So here you have this young 25-year-old guy, <laughs> this kid going to these trade shows and saying, hey, yeah, we're going to sell your stuff online and we're going to we're gonna sell you know X, X dollars a year. I just need some pictures. And these owners would say, no way, get out of here. You, you know, no, you, you know, we need a showroom. We need this. We need that. You know, you need to do an early buy. We don't allow our stuff to be sold online. That was probably our biggest challenge over the years because no one wanted to sell to us. It was a challenge finding products to, to add to the website because we just didn't want to be a, a, a one trick pony. So, but I was persistent. You know, I'd go to the show. I, I would talk to a hundred different companies, 200 different companies. And if I left with three that maybe want to work with me, I would just keep, I'd be that squeaky wheel, you know, and I would just keep talking to them and talking to them and, and figuring out ways. Well, if they didn't want us to be online, well, what's the reason for that? Well, we don't want everyone to sell for a lower price. Well, what if we sell it at a higher price? What if we do what's called a minimum advertised price? And back then, not everyone knew what MAP was. And, and now everyone's familiar with MAP, whether or not they know it. You go to buy an iPad, it's $5.99 no matter where you buy it. That They have a MAP, a minimum advertised price requirement. You can't sell it for less than that. So we you know, instructed and we wrote policies that would work for both the manufacturer and for us. And year after year, you know, they'd see me at the shows and I'd, I'd keep, you know, trying to overcome these objections that they would have. And slowly but surely, we would get our products, we'd get their products added to our catalog. In some cases now, we're their biggest source of revenue. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny how, how it changed. And I remember last year, I had this aha moment. I was walking, I was going, I go to this other show in Chicago, this manufacturer that has been telling me no for years runs out. He sees me in the hallway. He runs out. He says, Jonathan, Jonathan, Hey, Hey, uh, yeah. Hey, we're, we're ready to finally get going with you guys online. We saw you. We want, you know, Hey, we want to do this with you guys. And I, I kind of just chuckled to myself. It felt really good to know that after all these years, now we have some traction. Now the manufacturers are seeking us out. Now they're willing to rewrite their policies and, and restructure their business to allow for online sales because they understand that it's the future now. You know, it's, it's not some 25 year old kid, hopeful kid begging them to work with them. It's now it's a company that has a good reputation. And man, we should have got on board with them a while ago. They have really done a well, 
a good job. And now it's just like the red carpet's rolled out for us everywhere we go. And it's, it's really, it's humbling. It's, it's amazing. It's great. It makes it a lot easier to do business. But that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the first few years being very difficult. You have to build yourself a good reputation. You have to just keep being out there hitting the pavement, be that voice of reason. If someone tells you no, find out why they're telling you no, overcome the objection, understand their perspective. What What is it about their business that doesn't work with your business? Well, that's fine. How do we collectively make a win-win situation out of it? You know, and So it's being really creative, thinking outside the box and just being patient. With that, I guess, kind of talking about more about your company today and how you compete and get customers. I mean, who are your main customers? How do they find you? Can you tell us a little bit more about getting those people to your website? Yeah, it's. Uh, I always liken it to a, an ocean. You have this huge sea uh, and you can have a website, but a website starts off as a little dinghy in the middle of the ocean. And without some of the bells and whistles that are available today, it's going to be difficult to be found. You know, you'll never get found. Once in a while, someone might come across your website. So for us, what we do is we've invested a lot into online reviews. That's super important. I mean, think about it. Austin, have you ever purchased something because you got higher reviews on one item versus another item? So you purchased that item? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the same for everybody. And so we've invested in in reviews. We've invested in um, AdWords and retargeting ads, organic searches. That's an endless battle, by the way, organic ranking. We were hit a few years ago by an update that Google came out with called Penguin that we were on page one for a while and all of a sudden we just tanked. <laughs> and you really feel that because you're getting a large source of your your revenue from those organic searches. Really, people don't go to page 10 to search. They go to page one, maybe page two. So it's important to keep working on that. Really just being found online. And then we have different ads for, we have hundreds, thousands of ads that kind of pertain. They're very granular pertain to whatever industry they're searching. So if it's an architect, you know, someone might type in architectural fire glass or architectural patio furniture. We'll have an ad for that. We might have one for pool builders. We might have ads for um, homeowners. There's that comparison shopper that's looking for maybe a brand that we don't carry. So we are, we have ads that pop up for that. But generally speaking, our, our customer base is residential. That's a, that's a big part of it. People that want to fix up their their yard and or, or their home and, and have these really nice uh, lifestyle products in their home, they will Google you know fire pit or they'll Google patio furniture. It's going to pop up and they'll see our ads and we try to have relevant ads for everything. But then we do we do quite a bit with contractors and architects and and designers as well, and we try to have really good programs in place for them to help them make money and be able to resell if they want to their customers and. We get specked out on a lot of projects, which is nice. We're working on a a nice uh, distribution program and wholesale program for other websites, some specific products that we import and bring in. So lots of lots of opportunity there as well. And how would you compete with like, I'm just going to compare this to Amazon. If someone was, you know, searching Google and then saw it on Amazon, how has that affected your business? Um, Amazon is amazing. If you really stop and look at it, it's what do they have over 60 million U.S. Prime members, you know, in a country with 300 million people, that's that's significant, especially considering the fact that most people share their account with their family or their spouse. So really, that number is a lot higher people that have access to Amazon Prime. And did you know that I think it's 54 percent of online searches for purchases start on Amazon? So basically, one out of two people is going to be looking for that new watch or that those sunglasses or 
calculator or office equipment, whatever it is, one out of two people is going to start their search on Amazon. And if they see it and they, the price is good and it's prime and they're going to have it in two days, chances are they're going to buy it. It's, a, it's really incredible. So obviously that's affected our sales. It's affected everyone's sales online. If you're online, you are affected by Amazon. There's nobody that's immune from it uh, if you're selling online. I think it's important to embrace it. I think it's important to get on Amazon. I think it's important to stock on Amazon. We have a, a pretty aggressive Amazon business model right now. We're doing very well on Amazon. We make money, but it, it certainly comes with its challenges. Uh, there is a formula to it. You can't just expect to put something on Amazon, expect it to sell. There is a there is a formula that we've slowly discovered over the years that helps us. But no, Amazon Amazon's good. It's good for business. It's not going anywhere. So I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and ignore it uh, the way a lot of many a lot of retailers might. Uh, we're going to embrace it, and we're going to embrace every channel we can, you know, whether it's Jet or Walmart, eBay, social media, Twitter and Instagram. We're, we're going to embrace all of it. If it's online, if it's digital, that's where we're going to be. We're not looking as much today as we are tomorrow. And today it's the millennial. The millennial is going to be our, our buyer in the next 10 to 20 years. So we need to make sure that we're offering our products in a way that they understand, in a way that they uh, appreciate and, and how they buy. And if we do that, uh, we'll, we'll be successful for the, for the next few decades, I think. Well, speaking of what you actually just led into my next question about what do you see for your industry or online shopping in general for the future? It's going to be interesting over the next uh, 10 to 20 years, to say the least. Kmart, JCPenney and Sears, you know, everyone's closing stores. Entire strip malls and shopping malls that were just built 10, 15, 20 years ago are, are completely unoccupied and vacant across America. People are, are no longer wanting to go out to shop. Less and less people are shopping in stores and they're more and more shopping online. That's not going anywhere. I feel that soon we're going to see even more stores closing down. We're going to have more same-day shipping options for online purchases. Amazon already does Amazon now. If you're in a major city, my wife and I were in Miami last year. And we're sitting on a beach and she says, hey, I ran out of sunscreen and the hotel hotel sells it, but it's like 30 bucks or something for a little tube of sunscreen. Besides, she, she wants a special kind, right? So I just go on Amazon now. I find what she wants. It's $7. I click add to cart. An hour later, they delivered it to the cabana. Did not know they even had that. So <laughs> you'll be having that type of deliveries in service pretty soon. Our goal is to get to match Amazon with two-day shipping on everything on our site eventually. But we're even talking, we just met with our FedEx reps the other day, and there's even same-day shipping in Southern California. So certain products will be able to offer that same service. That's the future. Don't be surprised when 10 years from now, you can order something and have it delivered the same day, uh, anything from most websites. Another thing that kind of concerns me is manufacturers selling direct. I'm surprised that not more manufacturers do it. A lot of them sell to their distributors and they sell to brick and mortar stores, showrooms all across the country. And as long as those showrooms are still around, they're going to keep catering to them because they've been giving them their business for the last 30, 40, 50 years. But as those showrooms start to close and as more people are purchasing online and these brick and mortars don't figure it out quick and, and add their own web store to where they can sell these fabulous products that they have. As they start to close, the manufacturers are going to start to turn more to online companies, but then they're going to see our infrastructure and they're going to start thinking to themselves, well, why aren't we just, just selling directly to the consumer? And it would be in our best interest to do that. There's a company that I buy shoes from called taftclothing.com. If you guys ever check them out, if you're a well-dressed man and you like to have nice leather shoes or 
or what have you, there's uh, this this company taftclothing.com. They they have these really nice uh, shoes that they make in Spain. They're handmade. They're beautiful shoes. Um, the craftsmanship is is top notch. You you can't really buy a better pair of shoes. But these shoes are like 180 bucks, 200 dollars for a pair of leather shoes. They have even less than that. But the guy went to Spain. He found a factory. He had his own custom designs and he imports them directly and, and sells directly to the consumer. And he's able to cut out the Nordstroms and the, the Macy's and the all these, you know, these shoe stores that and these distributors, he cuts out all these middlemen and he's able to sell it for less, making way higher margins. Look at Harry's, Harry's.com. I mean, if you're a man, you shave, you've probably heard of Harry's. We got to hear them speak at a at a recent convention, Shop Talk in Las Vegas. And that's what they're doing. They were tired of Gillette charging a fortune for these blades. They thought, you know, why does a blade only last a few few shaves? You know, I should be able to, you know, they're so expensive, they should last longer. So they went to Germany and they they bought a, a blade factory. <laughs> they, you know, they have these amazing, you know, high quality German razor blades that they sell, disposable razors that they sell, and they go direct to consumer. And they're just killing it right now. They're absolutely killing it. I think over the next 10 to 20 years, we are going to see more manufacturers going direct to consumer. So in a way that that could affect our business, that could that could hurt our business. But knowing that we will find ways to stay ahead of it. You know, we will find ways to attack that and to set up the relationships. Maybe we'll become a manufacturer. We already do manufacture some of our own products. Maybe we'll bring in a whole custom line of products that help sustain that. So those are, I think, a couple of things I think we'll see over the next few years. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and kind of your outlook for the future here. Um, is there any one last thing you want to harp on or advice to those entrepreneurs? And if they wanted to say thank you. Is there is there a best way to reach you? Yeah, you, you can always email me. My email is jonathan at starfiredirect.com. You know, certainly if you have any questions, I'm always open to talk with people. I, I love helping people. But you know what? That's that probably circles back to that. Austin is share what you have. There's more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. You can experience tremendous success and be well respected in your industry by sharing with what you have, by sharing with your employees, treating people with respect. Who wants to be around an arrogant <laughs> that just flaunts everything he has and, and holds back his staff from ever achieving that same or a similar measure of success, whatever that be? You know, people are people are simple. They don't want a lot for themselves. They want to have a home. They want to be able to put food on the table. They want to take a vacation once in a while. They don't they don't have high expectations for themselves. I mean, that's that's really as simple as as it gets. And in reality, all of us want that. So help your team get that. Give them a roadmap to get to that. Help them. They will help you in return. You will be successful. But always greet people with a smile. And if you have a measure of success in your business, do what we're doing here and share that. You know, teach people how to do it. Teach a man how to fish. You know, don't just feed him feed him a fish. And and so uh, that's my advice. You know, just be kind and and share and, and be generous and, and humble. And, and uh, you will have tremendous success, I think, with that. All right, Jonathan, well, like I said, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. And they know how to reach out to you and say thanks if we need to. So thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it, Austin. Good job with what you're doing here, too. I think it's really great that you put this show on for your uh, customers and, and your audience. It's really a good thing that you're doing. Thanks. Well, I mean, I can't do it without guys like you coming on. And if you want timestamp show notes for this episode, you can find them at millionaire-interviews.com backslash and then the episode number. 
And for those of you that are curious about timestamp show notes, basically that means instead of searching around for a quote or a key point, we have them so you can automatically click on a certain time in the episode and it'll jump you to it. So instead of searching around for 30 minutes, trying to find one of those key points or quotes, we'll automatically jump you there. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time. People don't care who